Hello and welcome back to a, another edition of Gulf War, the battle after the war. Uh, in this podcast, I'm going to be discussing degenerative disc disease and how it affects the body and, of course, everyday applications as far as being able to maneuver around on good days and bad. Um, we'll talk about some exercises and stretching that'll kind of help make it a little bit easier. So what's kind of funny is as I was reading, I discovered that degenerative disc disease is actually not a disease. Oddly enough, it's a condition in which a damaged disc, uh, damaged disc causes pain. It's not really a disease. The pain can range from like a nagging, which in my instance, I can usually handle at that point. It's like there, it's persistent, but it's not, it's not going to take me out. I can still do basic movements throughout the day. You know, walking is not too big of an issue, but I do need to sit on occasion. Um, obviously, no quick movements. You know, if I turn left or right, pretty much that's going to end my day. So it's something that I have to be aware. Uh, but more often than not, it'll hit a disabling point, and that's when I know, at least, I have to sit down and give it, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it takes for the pain to subside. This condition, it can be caused by uh, the drying out of discs over time, which is more of like an age type of thing. The other, the other possibility is just daily activities. You could be somebody who works in uh, a furniture store. You're carrying furniture all day long, moving things around. You could end up with a, 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 a you know, a slip disc or a damaged disc of some sort. And then obviously, the most common would be sports injuries. Football players they have problems with their backs and their necks all the time. And those are the most common. Now, also, while we're talking about this, I want to lump in sciatica into this because sciatica is pain that starts along your sciatic nerve and it spreads down through your butt. Sometimes it'll all go all the way down to your to your feet in some cases, and those are severe cases, obviously. Um, you know, it goes down to the back of the thigh and it'll run down a lot of, most of the time it's down your left side, but there are cases where it goes down the right. And then there are some like mine where it's called bilateral, which is I have sciatica in both of my hips. It goes down both my legs and it's a nerve pain. It's annoying. And again, it's one of those when it gets to a point where it's just debilitating, I have to stop. Otherwise I end up face planting, which is not a good thing. That one is usually caused also by herniated or bulging discs in your spine. And it presses down on that sciatic nerve, hence the reason it's called sciatica. Now, usually, based on what I have been told and some of the research that I've read, sciatica will heal itself on its own, generally with rest and time. It gives the injury the opportunity to repair itself and heal. 
that obviously is going to depend on how the injury took place as to whether it's going to heal on its own or if it's something that's going to require you to do X amount of stretching or, you know, work with a, a physical therapist to make that area stronger so that it starts to heal itself. So going back to degenerative disc disease, what's important to know about that is there is no cure for it. It will continue to deteriorate the, um, the discs over time. You can slow it down, stretches, uh, diet, drink plenty of water. Basically take care of yourself. Don't abuse your body. And you can, you can ultimately slow that process down. Eventually, there are surgery options to replace any discs that have gotten to a point where they're just no longer doing anything for you but causing pain. Most of those surgeries can still be done. There are a few that they consider high risk. Obviously, the closer you get to the upper portion of your body, the more risk you take. There's... Uh, surgeries to do fusions on the spine. The downside to that is as you start stacking the spine like that, it adds weight to the disc below that, so you're eventually going to have to fuse the next one down, so on and so forth. So it's kind of defeating the purpose. You get some relief short-term, but you create a problem long-term. So that's not necessarily the best way to go. Obviously, that's going to be based on condition and, you know, each, each person is different. Now, getting back to sciatica, if for some reason after you've done your exercises and you've worked with your physical therapist and, and things are just not working, then you have to go back to your primary care and let them know what's going on, what stage you're at. You know, if you're walking around in pain all the time, then there's something else that needs to be done, whether it has to be surgery to correct it or if there's something else that, that needs to be done, injections, there's, there's local or, or site injections that they can do. So those, those were things that you would look into. Um, obviously, like I was saying, if your pain worsens, that's when you let them know. If you start to lose feeling in your legs, if you start to notice that there's weakness in your legs, um, you could even run into problems with bowels or bladder. You know, if you're maybe only going to the bathroom twice a day, whereas you normally go three times a day, or you're going once a day where you normally go three times a day, then that's there. that's a sign that there's something wrong. The other thing that uh, that can happen is you may have successful treatments. Your physical train, physical fitness trainer may be making progress with you, and then all of a sudden you're hurting again. So that's another uh, another sign that you should get with your primary care doctor and let them know what's going on. 
Because really, the way sciatica works is it's caused by pressure on the nerve in your spine. And those complications may develop even further if the pressure is not relieved. So that's that's pretty much an overview of just from the spine and, of course, the hips and how they connect as far as nerve damage and tendons and ligaments and discs. The other thing that I'd like to get into is neck pain because that's also dealing with the discs in your in your spine. It goes from your, your shoulders up into the back of your head. And there's normally like a backward arch or a reverse arch in your spine at that point in your neck. And a lot of times what will happen is, especially if, you've, if you're somebody who's been in a car accident or multiple car accidents, that portion of your spine will start to straighten. It can even bend forward. And it makes it difficult for you to turn your head left and right. It makes it difficult for you to look up. In some cases, it's difficult to look down. You should be able to have a full range of motion. Your chin should almost be able to touch your chest. If you if you can't do that, then you don't have the flexibility in your neck that you should. And in the same case, there's many different things here that can cause neck pain, including injury. Same thing I discussed earlier with the furniture store example. Um, obviously, age-related disorders. Any kind of inflammatory disease can cause some serious neck pain. Muscle spasms, which is my case, I have them so frequently that the muscles in my neck, the traps, the, throm the rhomboids, all of those muscles in the back don't have the opportunity to recover. So now they're at a point where every time I have a muscle spasm, instead of them healing, they're being further damaged. So it's creating problems in my neck along with my lung, as well as with my spine, and it's not allowing that whole area to heal. So it could eventually, over time, create herniated discs in my neck, which is not good. The other thing is, obviously, arthritis. Uh, there's two main types, osteo and, of course, rheumatoid, which nobody wants. And then along with degenerative disease, there's the uh, cervical neck disc degeneration. There's congenital, which is present at birth, um, abnormalities of the vertebrae and bones. Obviously, this isn't an issue that veterans are dealing with since we are in a great physical shape entering the military. But I just wanted to mention it because it's something that's out there still, whether you're military or not. It's something that would be found during your entrance exam, and you probably would not be fit for military if, if they found something like this. And of course, the last one, this last one is the one that really kind of scares me. It, in my opinion, is the most dangerous, and that's tumors. They can be life-threatening. As a matter of fact, the description on the DOD website and the uh, veteran website says terminal tumors. Obviously, they can become cancerous, which is life-threatening. 
But do keep in mind, not everyone with Gulf War illness is going to get tumors. So I wouldn't be too concerned unless you have actually been diagnosed with them previously. If you get one, then yes, you're prone to get more. This is more just for educational purposes so that you can keep an eye out for these kind of things as you start to see these symptoms accumulate and become more. It's not meant to scare anyone. It's just meant for you to be aware. To stay informed, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. Um, basically, everything that's covered in all my podcasts are either from my own personal experiences, so you know that what I'm talking about is stuff that I'm actually dealing with on a day-to-day, or it's information that I've received or read from reputable websites or other veterans who are going through it as well. And it's not, not anything that I haven't researched and haven't asked doctors about. So you know you're getting a reputable response when you ask me questions. I don't just respond to you haphazardly without doing my research. Uh, a good place for you to get this kind of information is from the DOD's website. You can use WebMD, however, when you're reading that stuff on WebMD, take it as a grain of salt because there's a lot of what I like to call like information fear. <laughs> they try to give you the worst case scenario before they tell you the best. Uh, another good website is Cedar sinai they, uh, they tend to have a fair amount of reliable information about specific types of diseases, not necessarily veteran-related, but just in general. Now, if you have one of these diseases, or if you have Gulf War illness with all of the symptoms in between, and you want to know more about some of the things that I've talked about or even something that I haven't talked about that is a symptom of Gulf War illness, you are more than welcome to PM me or post questions on my page at Gulf War Vets, and I will respond usually within 24 hours. Even if someone else has already responded, uh, I'll still respond just so you know that I did see your question. So, if you enjoyed my last cast with my special guest, then you won't want to miss the one I'm doing on the 23rd, because I've invited Sarah Boyd from Operation Truth back to discuss adjuvants and symptoms of anthrax vaccine and how it ties into some of the other symptoms that we all have, regardless of if we deploy it or not. And it will also encompass some of what I just covered today, because there is a connection there. So in my first cast, titled a, a Little About Me, I told you I deployed twice. The first time I went over, the only action we saw was a Russian sub that I spotted. That's my claim to fame. If, I, if you remember, I think I believe I went over that in the first cast. I spotted before anyone else in combat did, and I reported it to combat. Sub left us after determining we were not a threat at that time, obviously, because it was... Uh, part of the uh, Cold War portion. We did have ports of call during that period, 
but there was no shelling going on or anything. You know, there was, nobody was being exposed to anything at that point. That portion uh, I called the Cold War was labeled Desert Shield. So when we came back briefly, we rode out Hurricane Hugo in South Carolina. That was interesting. And after the hurricane passed, we were able to pull into port and we were only there for a short period of time. I think it was just a couple of weeks before we got the message that we had two hours to pack what we were taking and get back to the ship so that we could get underway. At that point, they declared us at war. So anyway, before the Desert Shield deployment was when we received the anthrax vaccine. Now, when you look out through the Internet, you're going to see different descriptions of the anthrax vaccine, and that's because there were several different strains of it given throughout the military, you know, throughout my military career and beyond. I got the first round vaccine, and I don't remember if I got two shots or if I got one because it was so long ago. I believe it was two because there was one you got in your arm and there was one you got in your butt. And I got so many shots before we deployed, I couldn't even begin to tell you what, what shot I got where. I remember two in, two in each shoulder, one in my right arm, and one in my butt, and I couldn't tell you which ones were which. But it kind of gives you an idea of the time frame as to the shot being administered and the end of the second deployment. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and stop here because this is going to lead into some questions that I'd like Sarah to address for us, which is why I've invited her back, because she's so far ahead in her research as far as the anthrax vaccine goes. And she may have some better insight and may be able to explain a little bit better as far as the vaccine is concerned. So again, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my cast. Remember to visit at Gulf War Vets on Facebook. And please continue to share my cast to bring new listeners, as well as to help my fellow brothers and sisters at arms. And lastly, please take an extra moment to sign the petition at www.operationtruth.net. The more supporters that we have, the, the stronger our show of power when Sarah turns this petition into Congress. She's very serious about doing this, and I'm very happy to be a part of making something happen for the positive for our veterans. So thank you again for listening and have a productive day.